1059 Van Ben and his friend Gunning. Irresistible force against the immovable object tonight in Edmonton. Mm. Oilers. Thought you were winners. talking about us. Thought that was just the show. I don't know which of us is which. Yeah, me neither. Um, the Edmonton Oilers have long since put the memories of their start in the rearview mirror, but especially with a franchise record. Ten consecutive victories. They host Austin Matthews and the Toronto Maple Leafs, who have lost three consecutive, blowing leads in all three of those games. Uh, the most recent to the Detroit Red Wings. We talked about this earlier when we, we you know, we had Ovi and Sid uh-huh. in a nationally televised game and how important those games felt and like how obvious it was that that was the best rivalry in the sport, both in a, on an individual level, uh-huh. but also a team level. And part of that was the postseason matchups against each other. But part of it, yeah, was the the individual nature and the different styles of games. Mm-hmm. And one guy was the serial winner. One guy was the the stat compiler, yeah. goal scoring guy until Russian, he finally Canadian, yeah, yep. and, until he finally got his. And I, I, we we wondered, you know, what is the best rivalry in the sport right now? I think we both came to the conclusion that it should be Leafs and Oilers because these are the top two dogs. I think. Well, I mean, you go back to the Hart trophies the mm-hmm. last couple. Of, like these guys are battling tooth and nail and. It looks like they'll be there at the end of this season as well. And you might have a similar argument to when Austin Matthews won his first Hart Trophy that like, man, the guy scored 70 goals. How do you not win a Hart Trophy? You score 70 goals. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's there's Connor McDavid with the 10 trillion points. Um, Is this the best rivalry in the NHL? And let's compare this game to what's about to come on Saturday. No offense, Flames, who, you know, are hanging in there. And and maybe will not be selling off all their pieces at the day uh, at the deadline. They're mm-hmm. they're right there in the Western Conference playoff mix. But the the two marquee games of this Western Canadian road trip are tonight against Connor McDavid and the Oilers, who are a wagon, mm-hmm. and Saturday against one of the best teams in the NHL in the Vancouver Canucks. Like compare the hype between these the these two games, two well attended uh, high profile games for the Leafs. Yeah, the the Canucks game, uh, this is completely unfair and, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek, but it really is the Mad Men. Oh, I don't think about you at all. Like, the Canucks are having a nice season. They have been an incredible story. But, and this isn't to say I don't think you look at that game as a bit of a litmus test or a measuring stick. I think you look at it in that way. But the idea of, oh, go show those Canucks. I actually think of all the Canadian teams, like the Leafs and Jets have had more spicy moments. And I know the Leafs and Canucks had a fiery battle earlier in Toronto before they went off to Sweden, but that felt like it wasn't the Leafs versus the Canucks. That felt like it was the Leafs versus themselves in that mm-hmm. game of, we got to show who yeah. we are. And the you're two just, instigators. Yeah, you just happen to be here. Mm-hmm. This really has nothing to, to do with you. So yeah, the Oilers and Leafs always feels like a thing. It goes back to the McDavid draft lottery and the fact that the Leafs were in the mix there and everybody doing the screen caps, Connor McDavid afterwards going, boy, which lottery ball do you think he came up? Because I bet it's not the Oilers one. Everyone knows, like, Toronto kid, and not say he isn't super happy in Edmonton and uh, his agent's the president. So, yeah, I imagine he's going to be there for, for a nice long time. But there's that rivalry there. You go back to the Canadian division. They were seen as the two top dogs in that. The Leafs ran roughshod over it. And, I mean, we all know what happened with Montreal at the tail end there. But throughout the regular season, that was seen as the kind of matchup throughout that division. In terms of marquee stars in the game, 
we can sit here and talk about Crosby and he'll hold a place until he walks away. But okay, maybe maybe Nathan McKinnon is on the same planet of star as Matthews and, and McDavid are. Maybe now I was going to say Kale McCarr, but he doesn't feel like this. He's a he's the level of player. I'm not taking anything away from there, but I don't feel like we have 50 Kale Mark. Kale McCarr conversations a week, the way we do McDavid, the way we do McKinnon, even to a certain extent. So this is it. This is the only rivalry that is player based in the NHL, but there's other kind of auxiliary stuff there that, that allows it to, to grow beyond that. Like the fan base is not liking each other, mm. bragging rates in Canada, all of that stuff. This yeah. should be it. And, and the Oilers have had, because I mean, the, the, the success in the postseason has been non-existent before last year's six game playoff series victory over the mm-hmm. lightning. The Oilers have had more playoff success, but these are two fan bases that expected to be meeting in Stanley cup finals mm-hmm. and neither has made it yet. So the Oilers are hot right now. Mentioned that they were obviously off to such a slow start that it cost Jay Woodcroft his job. Let's compare these two teams right now and, and what the expectation should be for sure. the two of them. Like I, I have the numbers for you mm-hmm. and, and the Leafs playing exactly 41 games or at the midway point of their season, the, the Oilers played two fewer games. Mm. So it's not exactly perfect, but I can give you ratios and, and percentages for you. Sure. Leafs are 11th in points percentage. Oilers are 13th. Again, we're, we're talking about two teams kind of headed in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. The Oilers went from a team that was losing to the San Jose Sharks to a team that's one ten straight. But here's where we are right now, okay? We're taking all of it together. Leafs 11th in points percentage. Oilers 13th. Leafs 10th in 5-on-5 five five goals for rate. The Oilers 7th in 5-on-5 five five goals rate. Leafs 15th in 5-on-5 five five goals against rate. Oilers 14th in 5-on-5 five five mm-hmm. uh, goals against percentage and that at five on five save percentage the Leafs 14th the Oilers 20th all right it's it's been a minute like who has the better shot to go deep this season I think the answer to that is who's going to get saves and I think the Leafs have a better chance of getting saves in the postseason which is a crazy thing to say but I do believe one of the Leafs goaltenders will figure it out as opposed to whatever it is that's been going on in Edmonton between the pipes this season I think if you do a draft obviously McDavid is still the first guy taken then Matthews and I think it's Dreisaitl. Like, there's a reason that of the last four Hart Trophy winners, we just talk about it as the last two, but mm-hmm. uh, Dreisaitl won it right before McDavid did the his first time, so, or sorry, his second time. So you look at it as the, you know, they still have the higher-end talent, and, you know, no one's going to take Dreisaitl over Matthews. Well, outside of Edmonton, no one's going to do that. Mm-hmm. But you take Dreisaitl over Marner, even the season Nylander's had. You take Dreisaitl over what he gives you. The fact that he's a center, it allows them a little more pliability in in the lineup. But I also think in terms of depth, you like what the Leafs have a a little bit more. Now, the Oilers maybe have more depth scoring with your guys like Hyman and your Nugent Hopkins as opposed to a, a Tavares or a Tyler Bertuzzi type. But... I think the Leafs are a slightly more well-rounded team. If I think there's a reason the Oilers are going to go farther, it's because I'm a less less of a believer of what's going on in that Western Conference. And I know people say, well, what are you talking about? The Knights and the Canucks are in that Pacific Division? Talk to me when the Canucks go win a playoff round. We've seen this movie before of team not having a nice regular season, different game there. So I think if the Oilers go farther, it's because of the path. But I think the Leafs are the are the better team. Where are you at? Yeah, um... The path is is definitely what we're talking about here, right? Like this I can't. Is a, I, this I, is a Chiefs I, conversation. I I can't help but think about 
the path. And even if the Leafs fall out of the top three in the Atlantic division, okay, um, you end up in a first-round matchup against the Bruins maybe as a wild card mm-hmm. team. Like there is just well, – what's the permutation of, of first-round opponents or path towards uh, a, a conference final or a Stanley Cup final where you're like, oh, well, that's – I can see that. That's doable. You need the Flyers to stay good. Right. <laughs> uh, it's just – it 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 doesn't exist for the Maple Leafs. But I, I think you're right to point out goaltending and, and maybe Stuart Skinner can turn into this guy. Yeah. And, and I, I'm, not, I'm not completely ruling that out. Uh, Goalies are voodoo, and we often say that to be, oh, this guy's going to turn into a pumpkin mm-hmm. at any moment. Can go the other way as, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And and Martin Jones is now 34, and it's been it's been a minute since he was in a Stanley Cup final. But he, he has been there. Yep. And Joseph Wall, all the evidence we have in his NHL career, both in the regular season and his brief foray into the postseason last year, is this is a guy with a with a pretty high ceiling. See, yeah, uh, I, I I would still lean Oilers because I mean they they have proven it in in the postseason to a greater degree yep. than the Leafs. Again, nobody's reached the the levels that we thought they would they would reach when Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews both arrived and were like, oh, hockey in this country is saved. Like, we don't have to talk about 93 in the Montreal Canadiens anymore because these guys are going to be winning cups year in, year, year out. It's going to be one of the great narratives in the history of the sport. And it's going to, not that it needs rejuvenating in mm-hmm. this country, but it's going to add this incredible narrative to, yep. to hockey in this country for years and years to come hasn't quite turned into that. But yeah, if you're comparing postseason resumes, the Oilers have a better one than the Leafs. Yeah, of course they do. They've they've won multiple series. They've made a conference final. The thing I should probably point out, and uh, you know, it's just funny because our, like we said, our little commentary, or as I watched back the video, my screed uh, with you asking me a question to, to set me up on, on Sheldon Keefe yesterday about, you know, coaching change, which again, I don't know that I think is the direction this team needs to go. The year the Oilers made that conference final and granted they ended up getting swept by the avalanche in it, but they still made it there. Dave Tippett was 23, 18 and three when they fired him and Jay Woodcroft proceeded to go 26, nine and three uh, on route to what eventually was losing to the abs in, in four games in the conference final there. So if you're a believer in the coaching bump is all a team needs to get them over, or at least is a, a very viable option. The Oilers in the year they made the conference final would would uh, would would give you a little more ammunition for that. Again, I'm not a believer in that, but if you're somebody who is, that is a very, very recent track record of a team that they're by no means carbon copies of each other, but they're more similar than they are different. Well, to that point, I, I'm surprised at how much discourse there is around Sheldon Keefe after, you know, four consecutive wins. I get it, like the soft opponents that they played during those four consecutive wins, but like, yeah, they, they took care of business, started off that, that string of games with a win against a Kings team that we didn't realize stinks now, but... There was a lot of commentary about how the Leafs played down to their opponents, and they didn't do so despite needing overtime to beat the Ducks, and they they absolutely pounded the Sharks into sand. And, yes, they've lost three consecutive since then. They've blown a couple of leads. Uh, one of those games was in overtime on Long Island. But not like the narrative feels like it's building around Sheldon Keefe. This feels like a big week for Sheldon Keefe, honestly, Brian. Where you're talking about, well, one, I mean, there's always so many eyeballs on Leaf games, but especially when you're talking about the the Canadian franchises that they're going to play yep. against, and especially considering the narrative around the specific teams in Edmonton, in Vancouver, and how well they both played recently, mm-hmm. and in the case of the Canucks, all season long. Like if you go through these three games and the the losing streak yep. continues, 
I mean, boy, we might having be having a very different conversation or a more extreme conversation around Sheldon Keefe come the show on Monday. To me, I think we're going to get a pretty good indication because we, we saw this play out when Maple Leafs had enough of Mike Babcock. Mm-hmm. They, they showed that they had enough of Mike Babcock yep. in that game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think we're going to get a pretty good indication how much this team wants to keep Sheldon Keefe as its head coach over the next three games. I wonder how differently I would feel about that if the games were flipped. Like if it was Flames first, Oilers second. Because I could, and I don't believe this, but if you're a believer that the Leafs have had enough of Sheldon Keefe and they're playing to get him fired or anything along those lines, I think it's much easier to do that against the Flames. Who you don't like? There's no, there's no rivalry with Jonathan Huberdeau of who the best or the, who the best Canadian winger is. Like you think that's what Mitch Marner's thinking about heading into that game? But against the Oilers, that's a, that's an eyeballs, hearts and minds kind of game. Where even if you did have enough for your coach, I think there's enough for you to play for in terms of one, the eyeballs that'll be on it. Two, the idea of litmus test games, and this team always team seems to arrive in those moments that. I could see a world where that happens if the Flames were first, but I think with it being the Oilers, there is just so much, and, you know, this is, it's degrees to this stuff. I don't think these guys play without pride. I'm not saying that, but there is an extra level of pride when you're going against a, you know, not, well, I'd say a 1A All-Star, the best player on the planet and Connor McDavid. You want to show you're right there. You want to show you're, you're in the conversation with him. If you're Mitch Marner, you want to show, you know, not that he's going into the game thinking this way, but you want to show that you could ride shotgun with him on a line whenever Canada gets to play best on best at some point in time again. There's just so much more at stake individually in that game. So I do wonder if there's, like, do, do you think there's something to that? The idea of the Oilers game just matters personally so much more than a game against the Flames. Oh, the selfishness or, will override uh, <laughs> override the, the idea of saving I mean, a guy's job. To a certain extent. Yeah, I guess. I don't, I, and... I, again, I'll just double down, triple down. I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think these guys dislike the coach. I don't think they've tuned him out. Mm. I think maybe there is a case of it's been five, six years, and it's the old Larry Bird rule, and you should only do it for three, and then you're out because eventually they tune you out. But I don't think it's a no. Mike Babcock mutiny level, anything <laughs> like that. Let me put it this that's way. It. I don't think we're going to see a Vander Kane clapper from the hash marks on a breakaway 11 seconds into this game, like we saw that fateful night in Pittsburgh from Gino Malkin against Casimir Kaskasuo. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Yeah, e- even if this this team does require a coaching change and it's the, the best way forth and it might be dual-pronged, it might be that, yeah, this team has tuned them out. It also might be that there's a lack of 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 pieces to add at the well, trade deadline and the, and the way to inject some level of energy into this team is by... Firing the guy who, yes, got an extension, but only has one more, one more year left on his deal. But it's not, to your point, mm-hmm. this is not, I I, I, I don't think, you know, the, there's, the heart is going to be cut out of this team if, if Sheldon Keith no. is fired. But I also don't think that this is a a team that actively wants Sheldon Keefe gone. No. Uh, what do you think's coming in here next? You think it's Gabby? No. Like, we'll go out. Let's say, again, let's just workshop this through, that they've had enough. Obviously, John Tavares would never be a part of this you know, classy human that, that he is. Not to say the other guys aren't, but I think you know where I'm going with this. Let's say they have had enough. You think it's our pal Gabby going in there to Bruce? There it is. And hey, let's go play fire wagon hockey, guys. Uh, no, they're going to find the closest thing they can to torts and shove him in that room, which, hey, I've heard worse ideas. I love the star turn that John Tortorella has taken this year. 
But you think those guys want to play for a guy like that? Not to say Sheldon Keefe is Mr. Sunshine and rainbows and happy-go-lucky. I don't think it's that way. But I don't think in the middle of a season, you if you're feeling the pressure, you go, you know what we need? What's Darko doing? Can we poach him? Can he coach this league? I don't think you're going for that type of guy. I think it's the exact opposite thing. Let me pose this question to you as well. And, you know, fair... Fairness has nothing to do with it in many parts of life. It certainly has nothing to do with it in pro sports. But is it fair of Brad Living to fire a coach given the, let's just call it what it is, the disaster big ticket signing of John Klingberg he made and making no bones to rectify that given the LTIR space he has available because of that injury. Like if I'm Sheldon Keefe, and again, mm-hmm. like fair, fair has nothing to do with it. Bradshaw living's the boss. If he thinks he needs to make a coaching change and then make his trade, he's a big boy. He made his bed. He can do that. Mm-hmm. But if I'm Sheldon Keefe, I'm sitting there going, hold, hold on a second. On the first day of free agency, you gave one three to Revo, who has not played a game for me in months. And quite frankly, I'd be pleased if he doesn't play any more for me going forward. And John Klingberg, whose LTIR money has not been used and has just been rotting on the press box. Again, he's probably happy that Klingberg isn't in the lineup on any given night. But if I'm Keefe, I'm sitting there going, can you please fill out the roster the way you actually intended to before you put my scalp on the table for this? Like, that's the way I'd be looking at it if I was Sheldon Keefe. uh, Do you think that's a fair way to look at it? Or again, maybe fair has nothing to do with it. Sheldon Keefe doesn't deserve to be fired. I agree. Okay. Sheldon Keefe has done an incredible job, not just this season, but in his entire tenure as head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, I mean, Thank his you. regular season record would... Can we just state that? We unequivocally, as a show, when we say good morning, it's to Sheldon Keefe because he should still be Leafs coach. I am with you. Well, I think he should be uh, the Leafs coach. Hold on. Co- oh, that's no, not what no. I said. Oh, okay. That's not, not at all no. what I said. Okay. Okay, you went... I you went, went too far. Okay. Sheldon Keefe has done an incredible job... Agreed. ...as head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, including this season. Okay, agreed. Despite the fact they're only on pace for 100 points and not the 115 at at this point. He's gone through... I mean, Martin Jones is his number one goaltender with, Uh like, very limited um, backup plan. Simone Benoit playing every night. Simone Benoit in a top-four role. (laughs) Okay? Who Who I like. Right. Um, Max Domi, Tyler Bertuzzi, they took a little bit of time to acclimate themselves to, to the roles they were brought in to, to, to fill. Nick Robertson hasn't been a perfect pe- Like this has been not, not a, a, a and, um, it's not a ready-made mm-hmm. winning machine that he stepped into, but still he's put them in position to be a top three seed in the Atlantic division, hang in there look the part against some of the best mm-hmm. teams in the Eastern Conference, legitimately have a chance still, and I know they've, they've lost three consecutive, so it's you, you, get, you get lost a little bit uh, in the weeds, still have a chance to win the Atlantic Division despite all the things he's had to deal with this season. But that being said, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you're not going to go out and, and they, they got limited draft, uh, capital to use at the deadline either way. And if you're not willing to put Easton Cowan or Fraser Minton in trade and the best way for you to get some sort of boost and not just totally punt on the chance to add to this team, whether it be via trade or via a head coach, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's a mistake not to do something to this team before the postseason. So if it's not going to be via trade, I really think that 
You know, there's very few coaches in the NHL that will sewer your season. No offense to to all the millionaire head coaches in the NHL. I, I, I think coaches were hired to be fired. And I think when they're fired, history would tell you that you get a massive boost on occasion. Sometimes it'll lead you to a Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. And that that might be the route that Brad Living decides to go down. So, like, so this is two-pronged. Like, no offense to Sheldon Keefe. You've done an incredible job. I think the the best strategic move for Brad Living might be to fire him before the postseason. I think that what you're saying makes sense. And I guess, I guess it's just the way I, I look at it or frame the question because everything you said makes a ton of sense. But I think what I'm about to say makes sense too is that that's pretty convenient the way it works out for Brad for living, that he gets to whiff big time that's on the, the first nature of being two the boss, things though. he does and has no pittance to pay for it and it's Sheldon Keefe who potentially yeah, is looking on the other the, side that's of That's the way org structures work, right? Like, yeah, the, no, the boss is n- never going to feel the heat, right? Yeah, I, Until, I know. Well, at, le- at least in, in year one, eventually that's the, the, the pressure mean, rises. It's not, it's not true in this market. The pressure only rose to a certain point. It only ever rose to the guy in glasses who now resides in Pittsburgh. Sure. You're right, and you're, you're talking about Brendan yeah. Shanahan wearing none of this. It's literally his plan. It's his name on it, and and again, like I'm not saying Kyle Dubas didn't need to wear any of it. We all know the pro season record. We've done it a million times, but once again, it's true living, and it wasn't Sheldon Keefe. I, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd have a hard time believing Sheldon Keefe walked into Tree's office and mm-hmm. said, I absolutely need Revo. Revo and Klingberger will die. I don't mm-hmm. know that those were his decisions that he would have made, and you're right. I guess that is just the nature of pro sports or professionalism as a, as a whole, but that's the thing I can't get over is that you made a drastic mistake, and hey, I understand the bet. We've litigated it a billion times. You have the ability, and you're right, you, to his point about the goalie tree. You can't just go to the defenseman tree and pick one mm-hmm. off. If we could, it'd be real easy. They would have been doing it for decades in this market now, but that's the thing I keep coming back to is that, you know, it's like Sheldon Keefe is going to die for the sins of Oh, of dude, Trilific. if we're going down, like, if this, if the Leaf season goes pear-shaped and they, one, uh, well, don't make the playoffs I mean, or they're, two. They're getting in. Yeah, okay. They they have a, a another first-round exit in the postseason. Yeah, the, the finger is at, well, first it's going to be pointed at the players because whatever yeah, the surrounding cast of characters be. are, as it should be. you got $40 million tied up in those dudes. You're supposed to be able to outscore your problems and, and show up in a way that hasn't, it's rarely happened in the postseason for these dudes. But the, the next guy the finger is going to be pointed at will be Brad Treliving. Like that's that's not changing, right? Yeah. Like that that is, I, and I just, if there's not a coaching change, if there, or sorry, if there, no, no matter if, either, if Sheldon either way. Keefe is the head coach with this team, I think people will go there. It will go players, Keefe, Tree, in that order. Mm. I don't think people will look at it and say, oh, Brad Trilliving built a flawed team. I think they'll look at it and say, ah, it's year one. He wanted to get his feet wet, which, again, like, can understand the the idea of building things slowly and going about it that way. Mm-hmm. But you cannot tell me, and I know you're not saying this, but it's like there were, the critical mistakes that were made this season, not to absolve Sheldon Keefe of everything, but I don't think they were made by him. So the saving grace might be Maple Leafs being able to take a big swing at the trade deadline, right? Like if you can do that, if you can significantly add to this team, and I don't know who that is necessarily considering the available pieces on the trade market and two, the available assets you have to ship out the door in trade and three, the can the, like the building narrative that this might not be the, the deadline that, yep. that 
Um, Brad Treliving uses his assets to to add in a significant fashion. I mean, that's the mo- if I'm going by fairness, sure. like what's the most fair right. thing for Brad Treliving to do? It's to give Sheldon Keefe one more kick at the can in the postseason right. with this with this core. But again, do what he did a season ago, throw a couple of first round picks mm-hmm. and and one of those guys and and Jake McCabe was not a rental, but one of those guys was yep. in Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari, and sure they they wanted yeah, to resign yeah. both of those dudes. But yeah, the most fair thing would be to once again add to this team at the deadline. I just don't know if that's going to happen or if that's possible. No, it seems to me like the clear as day plan is to continue to chug this thing along, survive, which is a crazy thing to say about a a team in this window, but survive, give it your best shot this year and next, and then really reassess when Tavares is off the books and you know what Marner's next deal looks like. Like, I think if you give, uh, what's the nerd name for Truth Serum? Uh, sodium pentothal. If you gave that to Brad for living, I think he would just snap to and go, "Yeah, obviously, that's the plan. Like we'd like to. Hey, we'd love to win. We would take. Uh, we'd take a round win or two between now and then. But I think in the grand scheme of things, that is his probably well, long term window. Which, okay. which again, if we're building things slowly and pragmatically, but guess what? Not time to be building slow and pragmatically when this we're in year what seven eight of this now. I, I agree with you, but just like factually, there yeah. there are not a lot of assets to throw at throw out the door in trade and at some point you have to stop sending first round picks out the door so if you're if you're not going to do that it's the next best thing yeah. I, I, honestly it's, it's firing the coach it's still like they're going to add right they're, they're going to factually add somebody you know the the significance of that somebody might not be what most Leaf fans hope for and the biggest boost that this team might get in the second half of the season and beyond the trade deadline might be firing the coach that just that just that might be the bullet Brad Treliving chooses to use in his first year. So let's just let's just play this out, and I know we're going to talk to Grange in a second here, but like we, they're still the Leafs, right? If they fire Sheldon Keefe and they hire Craig Berube, that's the name everybody seems to have, like kind of on the tip of their tongue, is mm-hmm. the guy who's done this exact thing before. They could they could still lose in the first round of the playoffs, and then oh, yeah. Craig Berube's your coach, and we just saw how that went in St. Louis post the the cup run. Like, I'm not saying Berube is a kiss of death or, you know, placeholder ex-coach here, but I then think you're in a pretty similar position to where you were at with the GM search, where you went, all right, you know what? I'm done with this guy. Well, who's going to replace him? Uh, uh, him. He'll do. Because that's the position it felt like, and not say Brad for living is a bad hockey executive, or they might have ended up at that position anyways. But it was clear they were in a time crunch to get their piece in order. And I just worry that if you're, if you think this Leafs team needs a new head coach, I honestly I wonder if the move, like maybe the move isn't somebody external, and True Living gets to kind of have his cake and eat it too, where. Keith goes and Boucher steps in for the year, and then maybe Boucher is your Craig Berube, and then you can actually have a real coaching search in the offseason. Actually, now that we've talked it through, I if I'm doing it, I'm keeping Sheldon Keefe as my coach because I don't think I don't think this is the reason. And that then you're making like a middling move at the deadline, and that's your ad, and that's your excitement, and that's like that's the message you're sending to no, this. I love the stressor. Mo- I love the I love the name that that Frank bandied about yesterday, and I realize he said it in the fact of good luck prying him out of there. But you like just because it's hard doesn't mean it can't be done. You go make your Jake McCabe trade, and that guy to me is Adam Larson this year. Let's mm-hmm. say it's him, a guy with a little bit of term here, and if that means you have to attach an asset to it. And I'm not saying that for Larson, it has to be Cowan or Minton or that has to be the guy. But I think that you owe it 
to this team. And by you, I mean Brad Living. Again, you went out and signed John Klingberg. You went out and signed Ryan Reeves on the first day of free agency. And now those pieces are nothing other than cap gunk on this team. Sorry, Revo. Absolutely love the fight against Wi-Fi. I hope I get to see it again this year. So I think if you want to talk about who's owed what, it's like the GM owes it to these players yeah. to go out and give them the actual well-rounded lineup that they deserve. And I understand yeah. the point you're making. In a, in a perfect world. No, you can't You can't go through a season that you have Austin Matthews, and I don't care that he's under contract for four more years or that there's eight more years of William Nealand. You can't, you can't go through a single year where you don't do your job not your damnedest to, 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 to like you like just can't hand away no, everything course, you've got, but like you can't go through a season in which you don't make some effort at the deadline to add to your team or to, to give yourself a, a better chance of winning in the postseason. And if you realize that that is not going to come by a trade, I, I don't think it's a, a zero that you think about firing the head coach as your de facto trade deadline move. If you, I have come around to the place that if you do it, I want it. I can't believe I'm about to say it, but I'd want it to be Boucher because I wouldn't want them to be in the position I mean, that's they're the, at in the GM. It's kind of the cowardly way to go about it because you can be like, oh, interim guy. Like, and then you can, like, if it goes pear-shaped, yeah. right? Like, if you get, again, another exactly. first-round flame out, you can be like, well, no, he's just the interim guy. No good like, here we can back. do the real search for yeah, the new head coach. That is actually, I think, the smartest way to go about it, where, I don't know, do you do feel... Do you get the same that's bump, what I was just though? about to ask you. Do you feel like you would get a lesser bump? I mean, he's, he's there. He's yeah. in a different role. Well, but, I mean... I'm not going to pretend to know the machinations of what's going on there, but it's like, I feel like Guy Boucher could snap into I'm your head coach and I'm the boss now mode pretty quickly there where it would have a different feel. I don't think it is the 100% same thing as if it's a Barube or Guy X or, you know, we talked about this before the show. It's like the pipe dream, Patrick Waugh coming in or or something like that. It's not that bump, but I don't think it's nothing either. And again, I would just like to state this all and, you know, you've made your opinion pretty clear. I'm going to make mine clear. He's not the problem, and I don't know that changing him would get this team any farther than it would be with him, and I do not want to change for the sake of change. Mm, I'm okay with the, with change for the sake of change, if if that's the <laughs> Any, biggest move you're going to make. Anybody who heard, who knows me in my life goes, oh, wow, you talked that long just to say you wanted things to stay the same as mm-hmm. they always were? Shocker. Things are different in Raptorland, although yesterday was kind of eerily familiar. Um, they didn't score enough against the Boston Celtics and didn't shoot the three ball nearly well enough. We'll talk to our pal Michael Grange next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, the scout, the game plan was really good from the coaches, and I think we did a pretty good job of, of trying to do do what they wanted. And then just, you know, like familiarity. Uh, as you continue to play with the same players, you get better and better, and uh, chemistry-wise, you get better and better and things like that. So did okay. Got to be a little bit better, though. We don't really want Pat on the backs for hanging around. I think we got to try to continue to make strides each and every day to make that next step to get these wins. We've been hanging around with every team, and... Uh, that's not what we want to be known for. We want to be known for winning. So uh, whatever it takes to try to continue to get better each and every day, we have to do that and find ways to learn from each game and to where we win these type of games. 
Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Yeah, uh, moral victories you're going to have to suffice for now as Raptors pick up yet another one of those hanging in it against the Celtics despite being outscored by what, uh, 36 points from they, beyond the arc? They got to lead the league in in moral victories. You know, I know the worse a team you are, mm. the easier it is to collect them. Like, I understand how that works, mm. but man, they're, they've been well, they've been on fire in the moral victory camp since the trade. Yeah. Can yeah, I guess you can't have a real victory combined with a moral victory. Yeah, mm. right. Like I think by nature you have to to lose a a game no, to pick I, up a moral victory. No, I think the only time I'll allow it is if it's a really good team that avoids a trap game. Then mm. that is both a real victory and a moral victory. But um unfortunately for the Raptors, uh, they don't get to have trap games yet. Uh they have four consecutive losses now, uh coming off that six Just game. Just real. Nothing moral trip. about them. Just real losses. And then tomorrow they have the defending Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat in town. Let's talk to Michael Grange of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. How's it going, Michael? It's going well, guys. How are you? I'm doing very well. So it's it's all much better uh, post-trade than it was pre-trade. This, this team is much more watchable, although yesterday was kind of like eerily uh, familiar as far as the offensive struggles. But that that's a one-off against you know, arguably the, the best team in the NBA right now, certainly the best team in the Eastern Conference, the best team by, by net rating. Um, all right, as we, we move further away from the, the OG Ananobi trade, wh- what have you learned about what this team's identity could be under uh, R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly? Um, I think that they've got some higher-end offensive skill. Um, the, uh, you know, I think R.J. And, and, and Quickly have kind of adapted really well to how uh, Darko Rajkovic wants to play. I think you know the ball's moved. I think um, you know having a point guard who can really shoot has kind of um, created a little bit more balance. Uh, you know, a little more room on the floor generally. I think it's given them a little bit more uh, some different kind of options when he doesn't have the ball, and that you've got a guy in quickly who. Um, is willing to move well off the ball, is willing to set screens to help himself get open, do that kind of stuff, and and uh, it's created some better spacing. I think with RJ, you've got a guy who's um, shown you know an ability to to both finish as a cutter and 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 kind of at the back half of uh, you know the, the back side of the offense, and also at times kind of create some offense, and he's been really good in transition. So all those things are good. I think what you do see is. A team that is going to struggle more often than not defensively, they just don't have enough uh, personnel. I would say high-end defensive personnel, and um, you know, at various times it's shown, right? So, so I think that's sort of not that surprising, right? Like you trade away, um, you know, one of the best, probably five, ten best defenders in the league in OG Ananobi, and and you know, Precious Achua gets overlooked, but. At times, you know, he's he demonstrated his potential to be as good a defender as there is in the league, and he was a nice option to have at times. And so I think uh, you've missed that size and that versatility defensively, you know, many times. And, of course, it's all being exacerbated right now because Pirtle's up. 
Yeah, the the hurdle injury not helping anything, and you know I understand what you're saying about the defense there, and I don't want to I don't want to just move on from that, but I'm kind of going to and go back to what you said about the offense. But maybe these two things are connected. You know, I think we've all liked the way Barrett and Quickly have fit in with this team. If there's any bit of a question mark for me, it's been what it's done to Scotty Barnes' role in the offense. You know, I don't want to overstate this. The guys are fighting for shots or anything along those lines, but you know, of the Raptors' kind of core four, big four, whatever you want to look at it. He had the least shots taken last night. He had just a handful of assists. What have you made of Scotty Barnes' role on this team since the trade, and what do you think it potentially could do to his development here? Um, I think it's fine. I mean, I think I think um, I would argue actually, if, if I was going to pinpoint anything that's kind of affecting his offense a little bit, is is that he's had a much different and much larger responsibility defensively, and I think he's. Um, you know, he's been sort of the primary. He's taken over Ananobi's role, basically, as being the kind of primary guy on the best, the other team's best player. He's been on the ball defensively kind of a lot more. Um, he's been away from the rim a little bit more. Last night he had 13 rebounds, but prior to that he, his rebounding had really slipped, and, you know, because he was in other places on the floor, I think. And I think that's affected his offense. Like, he's probably one of the top handful of, uh, grab and go guys in the league, but if he's going from, I think in the seven games before the trade, he'd been averaging a couple of eleven rebounds a game, and until last night had been averaging about four. So you know that's three or four or five times a game. Um, he's not pulling a ball off the rim and and either you know pushing himself in transition or or getting up to floor to other guys for those easy assists and stuff. So um, I think. You, you know, and, and then, like, I, I think the ideal scenario for Scotty Barnes in any offense is not a guy who's putting out a ton of shots. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's a guy who can be, who can, you can turn to at times. But, you know, his magic is that he gets the ball in out of his hands really quickly and, and other people benefit, right? That's that's really what his 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 decision-making is really, I think, his, his superpower. So... Um, you know, I, I think it's probably a little bit tied in with he's got been given a lot more responsibility defensively, and I think that's maybe affected his offense a little bit in the fact that um, there's other guys on the floor who are capable of creating and finishing plays. Um, you know, I think ultimately is to, to Barnes' benefit. I mean, he's the more guys he's on the floor with that are good is, is going to help him. No, I think that's that's interesting, especially what you the point you make about how quick a decision maker he is or when he's at his best with this passing, right? Like I often think when we think of guys as a kind of point forward type or guys who are controlling or running the offense, you know, we think of it in that like LeBron Luca mold where it's just dribble, dribble, dribble and then figure something out towards the end. And that obviously isn't isn't Scotty's game. If we can if we can kind of workshop that theory a little further and obviously understand, you know, we'd have to know what was coming back the other way to kind of see the version of this but what would removing Pascal Siakam from the equation do to what is asked of of Scotty here I mean obviously it would need they need him I would think offensively a little more if Siakam's not there but I think that is still the the other shoe to drop I mean we've been having this conversation with you for for a year and change if there is the Siakam trade to come what do you think that would do to to Barnes role if it was just kind of truly the three-headed monster as opposed to the two new guys Barnes and Siakam um, it would, you know, I think it would, it would increase his responsibility again. And, uh, you know, obviously it depends a little bit on what, what's coming back with the trade, but I mean, I think, 
you know, part of the goal, I'm sure, is to kind of add more shooting, create more spacing. And, um, you know, and if you were to kind of wave a magic wand and, and, and add to this roster as it is, you'd, you'd be looking for, a, you know, a big who can shoot, you know, a guy who can kind of help you defend the rim, but also can spread the floor, floor on offense. Um, as, and so in that scenario, you know, I think if Scotty Barnes is on um, – is on a team or a, you know part of a roster that's constructed to play five out and the ball's in his hands a little bit more because um you know your your leading scorer is no longer on the team um you know i think we could expect i think we'd see the best the best from scotty right like i mean he'd be he'd have kind of free reign he'd be able to attack the rim i think a little bit easier um if the floor is more open he's he's harder to double and, you know, we sort of, you know, the Raptors have kind of, they've made their point, right? Like they see him, uh, Scotty, I'm talking about as, as the guy, like, uh, the face not, of the not, league. Yeah. It, well, yeah. I mean, um, I think a face of the league. No, he said the, Did he? All right, yeah, thanks. he said the, <laughs> but, um, you yeah, know, but that's, that's like, that wasn't an accident. Like they see him as a guy who can, if he's your best player on your team, you can win a championship depending, of course, who else is on your team. And, um, you know, the jury's out on that, right? We, I mean, we've all seen Scotty at times look like, you know, like at times he looks, yeah, maybe he is that guy. And then there's stretches where he's not so much I and mean, he's still a very young player. And, um, you know, but that's, that's the bet the Raptors, I guess, are making is uh, that he is the piece. And then I think when they made the quickly trade, it was to get a guy who complimented him. And then, you know, I think whatever they do, um, you know, end up doing with Pascal, it will be, again, to compliment uh, Scotty and the rest of the roster in some way. So, um, you know, but, I mean, the profile, you know, Darko did say last night, like, I mean, he's his step as a player is to be a guy who can literally do it all. And it's, it's an incredibly hard job in that league is, and you can't just do it once a week, right? Like you've got to be the guy who makes game changing plays defensively. You've got to be the guy who uh, carries your team in when in offensive lulls, you've got to be the guy who can deliver on the second night of a back to back. And you've got to be the guy who can deliver when you're nose to nose with the other team's best defender and, um, you know, they're now, you know, the, the rest of the offense kind of shifted watching you or sorry, defense watching you when you have the ball at all times. Like it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, we take it for granted what a superstar does in the NBA, mm. but, um, you shouldn't <laughs> because, um, you know, the ones that can really do it are, you know, there's maybe six of them, seven of them, 10 of them, 10 of them in the world at maximum. And, um, you know, and, and that's, uh, you know, they've kind of, We've seen a guy in Pascal Siakam who's an incredible player, but probably not quite at that standard. And, um, you know, and now you're looking at their hoping and in their minds expecting that Scotty Barnes can can raise that standard. So the assumption uh, as far as the timing of the OG trade was that, hey, this gives the, the Raptors front office an opportunity to look at what this team looks like with Pascal Siakam. And then, you know, maybe if they look like the best team in the NBA – you do ex- extend uh, Pascal, and you, you think about going into the luxury tax next year because you could win a championship with the, like I don't I don't know if necessarily that was ever a possibility or if that was even 
uh, a, a thought in the front office, but it, it, at least the part of evaluating this team with Pascal Siakam, it felt like that was a part of it. And there's still more games to play out before the deadline and before you have to make a decision. But early returns then, like, well, I guess you can answer the two parts of it. Do you, do you truly believe that the timing was tied to uh, getting a runway to see Pascal with this team? And two, if that's the case... I mean, early returns would lead you down the path of saying, okay, um, I, I think we're headed towards a trade if there was any doubt. I think th- it was a, the timing of the trade was a benefit. Uh, the fact that, yeah, you know, the Knicks were ready to do that deal when they were. Uh, my understanding is, you know, that, you know, the versions of that deal had been in play for years. <laughs> so, so I think when, you know, when uh, Mitchell Robinson got hurt, and the Knicks were starting to slide a little bit defensively. Their urgency got ramped up, and and so the trade got done then. And as a benefit, you got a little bit more window to see what you have and, and all of that. But I don't think, um, yeah, what, what we've seen, um, you know, I don't think it's all that conclusive either way. I mean, you know, I think it, it's, um, you know, the bottom line is is I don't think the Raptors want to pay Siakam what he wants to earn. And so I think it's kind of, you know, he wants, you know, the full max and the full number of years, and, and I don't think the Raptors want to go there. And I think we can safely say the Raptors don't want to go there, otherwise it would have happened. Right. And, um, you know, and I think that's led to this impasse. And then I think if if there's a small sliver of, of uh, I would say it's a fairly slim sliver of, of the, you know, a, a contract extension being reached. I think it'll be because the market, the trade market for Pascal Siakam is entirely underwhelming. And there's a lot of big factors in, at play in that, um, having to do with the new CBA and, uh, you know, that'd probably be the number one thing. And, and then just kind of just to chill in the trade market generally. So, um, you know, so I think that'll be the real test is if in the next, three weeks or so if the Raptors realize or, or are proven that, you know, the return on a player of that caliber is, is just not there. And maybe they have to come around and go, okay, well, what's the best way for us to um, maintain value in this asset? And and then at that point, maybe the, the conversation changes, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that's where all of that is at. We'll see. Uh, interesting uh, month upcoming for this Raptors team, Michael. Uh, thank you as always. All right, guys. Have a great day. You too. Michael Grange, Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Uh, at the outset, and and especially when the wins were coming, with the, the renewed excitement around this Raptors team, I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? Like, re-signing Pascal and then playing it, r- running it back next year, and How then, you know, you. revisiting the, the trade. Like, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. How because, like, you. maybe this team, as currently constructed with Pascal Siakam in, involved, can not just be a play-in tournament team, can can be a you know top-six seed in the Eastern Conference, mm-hmm. and that's not worth nothing. And, yeah, the, the further this goes along, I understand, like, logically why you wouldn't want to just take cents on the dollar for Pascal Siakam. And if you're not going to trade him, you can't do the Fred Van Fleet thing in consecutive years and watch an asset like him walk out the door for nothing, so you got to resign. That sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, it does. It's kind of the recurring nightmare I've been having uh, between 6 and 9 a.m. on these airwaves anytime we discuss the Raptors for the better part of a year and change. Well, I got uh, better uh, better news for you. We're going to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. No, things always go so much better when we talk about them. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
Time now for the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Leafs start their Western Canadian road trip tonight in Edmonton against Connor McDavid's Oilers, who have won 10 consecutive Maple Leafs trying to avoid their second four-game losing streak of the season, puck dropping after 9 o'clock tonight. And no surprise, mm-hmm. although it's very rare, very rare, but the Leafs are underdogs in this game. Plus 125, the Oilers minus 149 to extend their winning streak to 11 games. We're already at a franchise record. The total, you get a, a half goal extra than normal. Seven uh, with the over... Minus 105, the under 115, Brent. Do you know what the Leafs are this year, Ben? They are perfect as road dogs. Picked up a win in Dallas, picked up a win in LA, picked up a win at MSG against the Rangers, and they're going to pick up a win in whatever Rogers-affiliated building we call that one in Edmonton when they win tonight. Leafs as dogs, got to take them every time. If I'm looking at something else there, I'm looking at the under because when the Leafs play well against the Oilers, it's the yo-yo team. We think it's going to be firewagon hockey, and guess what? They're all going to sit there and go, Unlike Ben, we don't want Sheldon Keefe fired, so we got to fight for his job and lock it down tonight. I think it's going to be a little more buttoned down than you think, and I think the Leafs win. So give me the under and the Leafs on the money line. I like the Leafs on the money line. I'm sorry. It's just hard for yeah, me to take. Total's terrifying. I'm not going to tell you otherwise. <laughs> total. Two teams with uh, with bottom half save percentages. Yeah, Skinner's been good lately, though. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I would stay away from the total, but yeah, I do. I like the Leafs. Anytime that they're a dog, not to mention on the road but yeah like just anytime they're a dog give me the toronto maple leafs even against a team as scary as the oilers have been the last month or so uh elsewhere the other alberta team Mm. who the maple leafs will also see this week coming up on thursday the calgary flames battling for their uh, playoff lives daily hosting the arizona coyotes and the flames minus 167 favorites on the money line coyotes plus 140 total in this one is a half goal lower at six. Uh, Flames have been better uh, as of late. They took care of business against the Oats first time they played them this season. Uh, if I'm looking for a little value, I think you get it at the Flames to cover. Uh, so give me the Flames at minus one and a half. That pays you plus 140. Uh, I like that as well. Yeah, the, the Flames every day is a playoff game for them. Mm. And all those players understand that if it doesn't, if the wins do not accumulate, they are headed towards a, a teardown. Uh, of those movable assets at the trade deadline. So, yeah, give me the Flames on the money line. That was The Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Speaking of the Oilers, we'll talk to a former member of that squadron, Luke Gazdick, uh, Sportsnet NHL analyst next, as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.